Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Collegiately speaking. Walks into the end zone. Touches to the end zone. This is Collegiately Speaking. With the voice of Northwestern football and basketball, Dave Ennett, and former Northwestern star quarterback, Dan Persa. It's Collegially Speaking. Let's go. And welcome to Collegiately Speaking, our weekly look at college football around the Midwest, focusing on the Northwestern Wildcats. Dave Ennett, alongside former Northwestern quarterback, Dan Purcell, we were both at Ryan Field in Evanston last Saturday where Northwestern got off to a, a rough start, to say the least. Uh, fell behind 21 nothing, rallied, but could not dig their way all the way back from that 21 nothing hole. They held Duke to a field goal late, kept it a one-score game. Looked like they were going to maybe tie the game at the end, but uh, came up short and lost 31-23. That's four straight that Duke has beaten Northwestern after the Wildcats won the previous three. Dan Purcell, you're no stranger to that rivalry. I, I I can't figure it out. I mean, I guess it's not that much of a mystery. Uh, Duke looks like they're better. They're well coached. And uh, also, you know, they they got a big lead early. They hit the Wildcats with some big plays. And it's it's tough to spot the other team a 21-point head start and then come back. Yeah, and I think it was one of those games where, you know, while the Northwestern was, was clawing back and, and, you know, that the, the end of the game was a little bit of a heartbreaker, it was one of those things where you felt like Northwestern really just didn't deserve to win. Obviously, a big lead early, blew some chances late, a couple turnovers, you know, Duke kept giving them, you know, one last gasp, but um, it just felt like it, it wasn't Northwestern's day for, for whatever reason. And the um, obviously the 21 nothing deficit, is, is hard to come back from to begin with. But I think it's, it's just another scenario where Coach Fitz and the staff and the players continue to struggle against Duke and, frankly, struggle, you know, in September games getting off to quick starts, right? You know, the defense was and, – and offense was very slow in the first quarter. Um, you know, to their credit, they fought back and, and, you know, had a chance to win the game at the end of the game. But, um, you know, when you play well-coached teams and especially good offenses like the one Duke has, it, it's hard to, to come back from, from – 21 down you know i know it's a small sample size we're talking about two games right eight quarters of football Uh, northwestern is averaging over 500 yards a game in total offense they've they've topped that number in both their games they're third in the big 10 15th nationally in total offense they're leading the conference they're eighth nationally in in passing offense and i know stats are are stats right you can read them a lot of different ways it, it does feel like this is a much improved team offensively with a number of ways to move the ball. The fact remains they were three for five in the red zone and, and failed to finish drives, Dan. And I think if they do finish a couple of those opportunities, you know, maybe we're talking about a much different outcome despite the bad start. Yeah, and I think that was the, the thing I was re- referencing on, with bone opportunities early. And, and Dave, you, you'll probably know better than me. I can't remember if it was the 2016 or 2018 game at Ryan Field. But it had that same feel, right? You know, Fitz was going forward a lot on, on fourth down. 
uh, Northwestern just wasn't converting in the red zone, and, and Daniel Jones and, and crew could just continue to hold them off. It just had that same feeling, right? Not converting, and anytime you, you leave, you know, points on the board and not scoring touchdowns, or you know, frankly, missing field goals in the red zone, you're just not going to win games. And obviously, losing the turnover battle three to one um, is, is tough to overcome as well. But yeah, I think you know the defense really just needs to. Obviously, I'm, I'm an offensive guy, and the offense was slow too, but. It seems like in both games, in the first quarter, the defense is, is kind of sleeping and, and waiting to, to figure things out a little bit. They just need to find a way to, to get going because once they settle in, they, they play great. I mean, the rest of the game, they had a, a solid game and made big stops and big plays, but the, for, the first quarter just leaves a lot to be desired. And I think, you know, Coach O'Neill really, really needs to get that figured out. Hey, there were some fluky plays, too. I mean, tip passes that. And end up in the hands of a receiver in full stride. He takes it, what, uh, 80 yards? Things like that happened in that game. Somebody who had a really good view of what was happening on the field Saturday is our sideline reporter, Lauren Withrow, who was on the sidelines and joins us on every Northwestern football broadcast on WGN Radio. Uh, Lauren, what was it like on the field in the first quarter when the Cats were falling behind and and compare and contrast that to how it felt in, say, the fourth quarter when they were driving? Yeah, guys, thanks for having me. That demeanor was completely different from the first quarter to the rest of the game. And I mean, the first quarter, it was it was slow. It was quiet on the sidelines. And then once that offense was able to wake up a little bit and the defense, I think, was kind of motivated by the offense performance, it was completely different. They were loud. They were excited. They they were communicating more on the sidelines. There was way more energy. And that's been the struggle that Coach Fitz has been talking about in practice all week is how do we fix this issue where we're not playing with urgency off the bat. We're starting off slow and we can't keep crawling out of these 11 points seems to be the magic number for Northwestern this, this season in terms of deficits that they've had to overcome. Well, yeah, a little more than that in, in this one. Uh, but, yeah. uh, Lauren, you're around this team a lot. How encouraged do you sense they are despite the loss? Obviously disappointed by the loss, but also the fact that they are able... I, I mean, look, you, you look at the way the game ended, and even though Evan Hull who doesn't fumble, fumbles going into the end zone at the end of the game, or uh, maybe they get the two points and tie it, and we'll never know that. But just in terms of the ability to go 75 yards with no timeouts in about a minute, something that was not exactly in their wheelhouse last year. Yeah, I mean, I think the energy and practice this week in terms of coming off that loss has shifted. I mean, day one on Monday, they get back in here and they put that game to rest. And then on Tuesday, they set the tone for the coming week. And both on Monday and Tuesday, the message to this team has been, we need to play Northwestern football. We went and played maybe 110% effort against Nebraska, but really that doesn't exist, right? So what is Northwestern football playing 100%? And then also, are we underestimating the opponent when we come out, which they the coaches are saying, you know, maybe some of the guys did underestimate Duke, and that's why that led to, you know, less than 100%. So the reminder every day in practice this week has been we got to focus on ourselves 
play Northwestern football at 100%? And what exactly does that look like? So I think the guys, I mean, of course, they're disappointed with that loss. A lot of them are really ticked off about it. All of them are ticked off about it. But I think that was a good wake-up call for them to set the tone, especially heading into this weekend against Southern Illinois, knowing, okay, we gotta, you know, we got to get it together. we got to play our game regardless of who's on the other side of the field. Lauren, thanks again for, for joining us. Um, specifically on the defensive side of the ball, has there been any, any focus on uh, obviously starting fast or maybe mixing things up and being a little bit more aggressive in the first quarter? Like, like you mentioned, there was you know, two deficits in the first quarter where both Nebraska and Duke you know, kind of had their way with the defense early. Um, is there any emphasis from, from Coach O'Neill or the players to, to obviously start faster, but really you know, maybe bring in more pressure packages or find ways to disrupt the opposing offenses, especially you know, in those first 10 to 15 plays that are scripted by the, the opposing offensive coordinator? Yeah, definitely. They are looking at more pressure. But they're, I mean, the overarching thing for the defense is we can't be motivated by coming from behind. We can't be motivated – by having a lead, we can't be motivated by having a tied score. We have to come out and play on defense no matter what the offense is doing. The defense has been having to kind of come from behind, and they're gaining momentum from the offense and waking up a bit. So the defense's focus this week has been on, okay, how do we come out and play that game regardless of how our, our offense is performing, regardless of how the other team is performing. And, I mean, a lot of – the defense is struggling right now, especially with some of the injuries to some of the DBs has really hurt them. So they are having to dig into some depth and find some more more leadership back there. But they've been – it seems like they've been much more locked in and definitely taking that one that one personally. Right. And then from an overall motivation standpoint, was there any sense offensively or defensively, you know, on, on this past Saturday of a, a little bit of letdown given just the atmosphere, you know, the, the, uh, the pageantry of, of the Ireland game, or did you, you feel like the guys were, were ready to play and just kind of were, were slow early? I think the guys came in ready to play. It's always a tough couple first games at Ryan Field, especially because we don't have students here. So, I mean, the bye week after Ireland definitely helped. I think they came in, you know, they got some extra rest after that. They they had a full game plan in place. So I think they came in completely ready, and they were excited for the home opener. I think from a mental standpoint, the biggest issue really was looking at the opponent and – thinking that they already were going to come in winning and, and playing down to that level rather than coming in and saying, hey, this Duke team is good enough to kick our butts, but we're also good enough to kick their butts. Which one's it going to be? So that's definitely the message they're trying to pound in. And we're going to have the freshmen back on campus for the game this Saturday, so that definitely should bring a little more electricity to Ryan Field at cat time and then students back for the following game. So hopefully that atmosphere is just going to get better, but I mean, these guys definitely feed off of it. And the weird thing about Ireland was that really felt like a bowl game. So when we all got back to campus here, it almost felt like, okay, college football season is starting this week against Duke when really it already had started. So, yeah, to your to your point, there definitely is. It's weird going from that high energy, high buildup, year and a half lead up to Ireland and then coming back and, okay, now we're continuing the season, but really that win felt kind of like a championship win. It didn't feel like just a regular conference win. Well, we'll see what they do on Saturday, Southern Illinois at Ryan Field. Lauren, thanks for the time. We will see you, and you'll be on the sidelines for us again this week as the Cats take on the Salukis. Looking forward to it. Thanks, guys.
That's Lauren Withrow, covers the uh, sidelines for us on our WGN radio broadcast of Northwestern football. I had a couple of people, Dan, say to me after the game, well, remember, 95, they went down and beat Notre Dame and then had a bye week and then came back the following week to play Miami of Ohio and uh, ended up losing a heartbreaker to them and didn't lose again until they played USC in the Rose Bowl in 1995. Uh, Obviously, a somewhat different situation, but on the other hand, uh, maybe, and I think this was more the suggestion in bringing that up, maybe this serves as some kind of a wake-up call, especially for some of the younger players who have been in this situation before. Yeah, and I think you never want to use a loss as, as a motivating factor and a wake-up call. But, you know, the fact remains that, you know, it's, it's a non-conference loss and, and, you know, your goals are still ahead of you with, with all the Big Ten play, um, you know, yet to be played. So, you know, obviously it's, it's definitely a, a negative, but, you know, hopefully, to your point, specifically the younger guys can, can learn from this and, and hopefully they can get, you know, some of their DBs back because I think obviously Duke had a, a great first half in, in the air with A.J. Hampton and Coco Azima not playing. So um, hopefully those guys get healed up and, and are back on the, on the field soon. You know, it does seem in two games there have been a couple plays where you just kind of scratch your head went in against Nebraska where the quarterback Thompson is scrambling around for what seemed like an eternity and then finds uh, the receiver. I mean, he, he had to be back there, Dan, for like 12 seconds, and that was plenty of time for – Garcia Castaneda to get lost in the secondary and he hits him for like a 50 yard pass and then he had the tip pass uh, uh, Duke did on Saturday which ends up going for a big gain Uh, it just seems like there have been a couple of those plays that you look at them and say well they're kind of fluky I mean they they count as any other play would a designed play but uh, getting some some big plays on broken plays against them and I'm sure that's something that they'd like to avoid this week well let's uh let's turn the focus a little bit we bring in our friend adam rittenberg does a great job covering college football for espn adam always good catching up with you we appreciate the time i don't know how much of that game between northwestern and duke you had the opportunity to watch but i'm sure you saw their game against nebraska and i'm just wondering uh just a, a gut reaction to what you've seen from them through the first two games well, great to be with you guys. I think what, the couple things you can take away is that the offense is, is substantially better in terms of being able to throw the ball, having trust in the quarterback, you know, being able to, to complete some drives. I think that was encouraging, certainly in the final three quarters against Nebraska, and then really the final three quarters against uh, Duke. They were uh, unfortunate there at the end with Evan Hall's fumble. But I think that the concern for this team is that they, you know, again, do not resemble the Mike Hankowitz defenses that really were signature for, for Pat Fitzgerald's teams over the, the course of, of Hank's tenure. And they you know, are struggling early in games, that they, they don't seem to have whatever it is to be ready to go for those opening kickoffs. And, you know, there's a lot of teams that, that you know, wouldn't do well if you're down 21 nothing. But Northwestern, as people around the program have told me, and I'm sure have said the same to you both, they are really just not built that way. They're not built to be constantly coming back in games. And so I think that's going to be the area to watch going forward is how their defense comes out because they can rely a little bit more on their offense, certainly can rely more on Ryan Holinsky, a quarterback, and some of the other players emerging around him than they have uh, really two of the last three seasons. But they're also uh, not able to rely as much on their defense 
to keep another team down. You know what's interesting, though, Adam, when they've needed to, uh, both against Nebraska and even against Duke, uh, to enable them to come back, uh, when they had to, the defense did buck up. And uh, even that late stand where they forced Duke to kick a field goal there that keeps it an eight-point game, uh, you know, they, they had an interception in the end zone, which granted the Duke receiver bobbled. But still, I mean, they, they've they shown the ability at times to make those. I thought against Nebraska in the fourth quarter, their defense was terrific. Um, but, but, yeah, it's the susceptibility – to the uh, the big strikes early on that seems to have hurt them and I, I'm sure that's a priority for him because no team wants to be having to come from behind the entire game whether you're built for it or not it's just not a position you want to be in no it's not Dave and you know as you know uh, I think the, the Hankwitz defenses that I referred to were so good at making the opponent earn it you know very rarely would they give up explosive plays period but especially explosive plays for touchdowns and so that may have been a different game and a different outcome last week against Duke if at least one of those first few drives is a field goal right. uh, instead of a touchdown and you saw that they saw that at the end of the game you know the value of of, of making the team earn it and ultimately uh, keeping them out of the end zone so that's going to be a focal point i know here for for coach Fitzgerald and his staff uh, the next few weeks is is they have to make these offenses uh, go down the field and, and ultimately deserve these touchdowns because it feels like they're coming too easily at times, which, it, you know, again, never was uh, a trait of this Northwestern team under Fitz. Let me ask you about a couple other uh, stories that you're covering around the uh, the Big Ten. Of course, Northwestern got a look at Nebraska in week zero, and then uh, after week uh, two, the uh, Nebraska Cornhuskers fired their coach, Scott Frost. I watched that game late last Saturday night against Georgia Southern, and I I guess nobody's really surprised that Scott Frost uh, lost his job as the head coach there. I guess it's really mainly the timing of it, isn't it, Adam? I mean, to, to, uh, to fire him with, what, two weeks to go until his buyout gets cut in half and with their traditional rival, Oklahoma, coming up the following week, and they played them tough last year in Norman. It just seemed like um, they just couldn't go any further with it. Right. And I think anyone who watched the end of the game against Georgia Southern, as I did, you knew that Scott Frost would not be returning as Nebraska's coach. But I, like you, Dave, thought they'd wait three more weeks because of the financial situation. And I think what I did is I misread what the Oklahoma game and the scene around uh, Memorial Stadium will be. I, I think because there's more of a national spotlight, and Fox has you know their big their big noon uh, tailgate and show and, and everything that goes into that game. But they didn't want to sit up there and pretend like it was going to turn around under Scott Frost. They knew after the Georgia Southern game that it was not. And at least this way, even though it's incredibly painful financially, they can sit up there and say, we're looking towards the future. Uh, We are doing a coaching search. Uh, Trev Alberts, I thought, did a nice job as their athletic director with his press conference the other day and and, in being very uh, straightforward about uh, the situation and and also what he's looking for uh, in in the future. So I think this is a, a day that, like you said, means a lot to Nebraska, to anyone who follows college football history. But the message that Nebraska wants to present is we are looking ahead, we are going to hire a new coach, and ultimately we're going to improve as a program. And Adam, who, who are those, those coaching candidates that are at the top of the Nebraska list? Obviously, it's, it's still a, a marquee job in college football. It's fallen a little bit um, under, under Scott Frost, but who are kind of the main candidates that, that you're hearing about right now? 
Yeah, Dan, I think it'll be really interesting what Trev Alberts does because, you know, Scott Frost was supposed to be one of them because of his career as a player. But I think what happened is that his time away from Lincoln, uh, you know, places like Oregon and UCF, you know, you'll maybe change his philosophy to a point where it wasn't working in the Big Ten. So I think, it, I think the equalities that Trev Alberts looks for are going to be important here. Ideally, somebody who understands Nebraska and its history, but also understands how to win in the Big Ten. I think one of the frustrating things for Nebraska during its time, certainly recently in the Big Ten, for, but really for much of its tenure in this conference, is that a lot of the values that those dominant teams reflected in the 70s, 80s, 90s, even early 2000s, are what works in the Big Ten. It's not beating yourself. It's running the ball. It's controlling the line of scrimmage. And Scott's teams weren't able to do that. So who, whose teams can? I think Lance Leipold at Kansas uh, would be an excellent choice. You know, he, he, start, you know, he was in the state of Nebraska as an assistant for Nebraska, also worked for Nebraska-Omaha early in his career. You came up under Barry Alvarez early in Barry's tenure at Wisconsin. He's a Wisconsin native, and he's won everywhere he's been. Now they'd have to get over the Kansas thing, but I think Lance would be a terrific choice. Also within that state, Chris Kleiman, even though Chris Kleiman at Kansas State has not been in the Big Ten, he's essentially worked his entire career in this area. Won a couple of national championships at North Dakota State. You know, has worked in Iowa, has worked in Missouri, obviously working in Kansas now. I think those two would be um, interesting. Bill O'Brien, uh, who's the Alabama offensive coordinator, uh, as you guys know, was in the Big Ten at Penn State as a head coach at a very difficult time and, and did pretty well there. Uh, and so I think he, he, he's a guy that I think will have interest to get back as a college head coach and, and would be uh, an option for them. And then coordinator-wise, you know, Jim Leonard at Wisconsin has done a tremendous job. He's dynamic. Uh, I think he'll, he'd be a great recruiter as a head coach. He, he's elevated a defense that was already really good to a nationally elite level. The question about Jimmy is would he want to leave Wisconsin, his alma mater, where many people believe he'll be the next head coach after Paul Christ for Nebraska. So I think I would certainly call and gauge his interest. There's a number of guys, Matt Campbell at Iowa State. How do you not call and gauge Matt Campbell's interest, especially after a year where there were a lot of good jobs and he didn't end up uh, getting any one of them or wanting any one of them. So why not ask him this year if he would be interested in Nebraska because he's right there, he's done really good work, he's an excellent head coach, and he's got some direct connections to the league footprint as a native of Ohio. Native of Ohio. If they go out and beat Oklahoma this weekend, is Mickey Joseph vault to the top of the list? I think Mickey's going to have a chance if they finish strong. And the thing is, you're talking to people who've been to their practices even watching them a little bit the first couple of weeks. But talent doesn't seem to be the issue. It's, it's a matter of putting it together. You know, week one, uh, they, they, they had that special teams issue with the onside kick, which I didn't understand, and, and allowed the Cats to come back. Last week, they just couldn't stop anybody. And so if Mickey can put it together and win a big game like this, and they'll have other big games later in the season, I believe they have Ohio State on the schedule, uh, I, I think he'll at least give himself an opportunity. He's a, he's a former Husker. Uh, he, he's a guy who, who's very well respected in the coaching profession. Not necessarily a candidate for many of their jobs, which gives me a little bit of pause about his chances this time around. But if he wins, guys, as you know, interim coaches have been able to land permanent positions if they can take over and, and generate some momentum. All right, real quick, um, the Big Ten West. So we know that uh, Northwestern is 1-0. and uh, We know Nebraska is 0-1. Most of the teams haven't played a, a conference game, let alone a, a division game yet. But we know that... Uh, Minnesota looks like they're legit. Uh, Iowa's got some issues. 
Wisconsin lost at home last weekend, but they're still, you would think, really good. Uh, and and what about Illinois? They had that tough loss at Indiana. How do you see the West? Yeah, right now, guys, I really see this being maybe the best opportunity for Minnesota to win the division. As you guys know, they haven't won a Big Ten title since 1967. They shared it with Indiana that year, and neither team has won since. And so I I know they haven't really been challenged, and I don't expect this week's game against Colorado to be much of a challenge, but I like the veteran leadership they have on both sides of the ball. It seems like Tanner Morgan has been there forever at quarterback. They regain their play caller in Kirk Chiraca. Ibrahim is a terrific back, and they've been really good defensively the last few years. So I like Minnesota, and then Purdue probably has the best quarterback in the the division in Aiden O'Connell. And I thought they should have won their game week one. I was there against Penn State, and, and they, they came up a little short. So I think those two teams are really intriguing. Illinois, I really like what they're doing defensively under coordinator Ryan Walters, who's one of the top young defensive play callers in college football. They're going to have to generate a little bit more on the offensive side, though, guys, to, to win, or they're going to get in a lot of games with an Iowa, with a Wisconsin, with a Minnesota, where they, they may come up a little short because they don't have enough on offense. Adam Rittenberg, great stuff. ESPN, you can follow him at on Twitter at, at ESPN Rittenberg. Read his stuff at uh, ESPN.com and a bunch of other places. Adam, always good talking to you. We appreciate the time, and hopefully we can do this again later in the season. Dave and Dan, always a pleasure. Enjoy the games this weekend. Thanks for having me on. You bet. All right, so there's the uh, take from Adam Rittenberg. We've got to get to a Super Joe's prediction of the week here. Iowa, by the way, playing Nevada this week. As Adam mentioned, Minnesota taking on a Pac-12 opponent, at least for now, in, uh, in Colorado. Ohio State in action against Toledo. We haven't talked about Notre Dame. Uh, really off to a rough start, 0-2. They've got Cal this weekend. They've lost their quarterback now. They've had to make a change there. And, uh, of course, Northwestern taking on Southern Illinois. But uh, interesting situation, Dan. You know, the there were six – there have been six games this year in which FCS teams have defeated – football bowl subdivision teams uh the old one double a uh beating division one a in the old parlance and uh it, it seems like it it this used to be rare right appalachian state with the win at michigan and of course they had a big one last week as well but it's it seems less shocking now when you see one of these games and of course there you also had the sunbelt teams coming up with some big wins the the playing field just seems to have leveled off a lot from what it was years ago when you you just knew and and certainly they're going to be blowouts don't get me wrong they're going to be blowouts every week but it just seems like some of the games don't go the way you thought they would yeah, I think it's it's morphing and you know this well but a little bit more into the college basketball feel where as offenses spread out and change and, and some teams aren't as physical as they, they used to be, you know, a lot more teams are relying on, on their quarterbacks and their passing offenses. And if, if some of those, those guys or, or offenses have bad days, you know, the F, the old FCS teams can, can stay in the games and win because they're really talented too. Right. The, as, as we know, being Northwestern fans, the spread offense in, in 2000 was the ultimate equalizer and it's continued to be that way. And, and so few teams now continue to pound the ball like a Wisconsin or Iowa. Um, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, there's just a lot of good players and quarterbacks out there 
that, you know, if given the right offense and the right opportunity can, can, you know, make plays and, and beat some of these big time programs. I think it's, I think it's fun to see, frankly, because, um, there's just more parity and, and teams need to be prepared and there's better games. Um, but it's, it's certainly shocking because to your point, if that was happening 10, 15, 20 years ago, right. um, you know, a lot of these teams would be in crisis mode. Yeah, that's well said. I, I do think it's good for the game when it happens. It, it generates interest, even when you have the Sunbelt teams doing what they did last week, like Georgia Southern going into Nebraska and, and winning that game. What not great for the Big Ten. But uh, that brings us to our prediction of the week. And for that, of course, who else but Super Joe to give us his prediction? Prediction. Super Joe's Predictions. All right, before we get to this week's pick, we got to revisit last week. Yeah. As, uh, of course, I tried to go against the grain. Um, I, I had the <laughs> the total going over 40 and a half between the Iowa Hawkeyes and the Iowa State. Cyclones. I wasn't going to bring it up. Yeah, Joe. that uh, th- that's a, a, a case of two things. One, not checking the weather. I think the weather played a little bit of a role. Um, and then, two, just being goofy. I mean, this guy, Spencer Petrus, am I saying that right? Yep. Yeah. So, uh his QBR, which is ESPN spin on the quarterback rating, 3.4. That's out of 100, Dave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's not good. Not great. No, it's not great. Not, not great. at all. Um, another quick Iowa stat for you. 14 total points this year. They punted the ball 16 times. More punts than points, buddy. But they have a good punter. <laughs> you know, don't overlook that. They all are, right. They are, by the way, total offense... 131st in the nation, and they're, they've managed an average of 158 yards of total offense to start the season. But we get back on track this yes. week, and, and, and I'm not talking about Iowa. I'm talking about my picks. Okay. Um, I got the Penn State Nittany Lions covering a three-point spread down at Jordan-Hare against Auburn. This is a team that they beat when they came up to Happy Valley last week. Last year. Last, last year, year, excuse me. Last great year. great game. Yeah. yeah, and I'm expecting that to be the same this year. Um, basically, going with the edge at quarterback. Clifford uh, is a seasoned starter who's who you know threw for 280 yards against a, a strong defense for Auburn last year. Uh, Bo Nix transferred to Oregon. Uh, the, the quarterbacks that have been playing so far have combined for four interceptions against two bad teams. I like Penn State to cover the three and uh, get a big win at the SEC, get a little bit of the uh, the mojo and the Big Ten back at it. You All know? right. So I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah. I, I, I like that pick, and uh, and I like the idea of the Big Ten kind of getting going a little bit here. Yeah, man, it's been a yeah, rough go so far. You see the Badgers losing to Washington State last week and – some of the other problems we've already detailed. Yeah, I mean, so. if it's going to go bad for the Big Ten, at least make it Ohio State, you know? <laughs> well, spoken like, okay, <laughs> I, I won't say it. Uh, Dan, final thoughts, uh, cats and the Salukis, cats and dogs on Saturday at Ryan Field. This is one you not only have to have, but it's, quite frankly, it's one they should have and and rather handily. Yeah, I think as we talked about before, it's really looking to the defense to make sure they're they're coming out strong and and as Lauren mentioned, not really feeding off of the offense, right? You know, playing in a silo, understanding their job and and playing strong in that first quarter, and then hopefully the offense has an efficient game. As we've talked about, they've they've looked pretty good um, and probably you know five of the eight or six of the eight quarters that they've played, but just playing, playing a more efficient game, winning the turnover ratio, dominating from a physicality standpoint. 
Um, but I'm really watching the defense in the first quarter to see kind of their mindset coming coming into the game. All right, I'm going to watch that too. In fact, I'm going to watch it all. I think, and uh, and we'll broadcast it. As a matter of fact, on WGN Radio, uh, we'll start our coverage on Saturday at ten. And uh, Ted Albrecht will be with me for the kickoff starting at eleven o'clock. Dan, enjoy the rest of your week. And we'll talk to you here next week. Thanks, guys. All right, that is Dan Persa for Dan for Lauren Withrow. Our producer, Super Joe Romano, providing his predictions. I'm Dave Ennett. Thanks for being with us, everybody. Again, Northwestern Football Saturday on 720 WGN, and we will talk to you then.